Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. And it is March of 2020. And this year on the podcast, we are answering questions that have been sent in from our church members and some of our regular listeners. If you haven't taken the time to submit a question, why not? What's stopping you? Go right ahead. Uh, let us know what you're thinking about, and we will let you know what we think about it. Uh, you can submit your questions through our social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, or just through email to the church. Uh, now, today's question is a big one, and it has to do with repentance. Um, not our repentance, but God's repentance from certain decisions. We, we think about repentance, and we typically think about our repentance from sin. We, we've committed a sin against God, and we want to turn away from that. Well, the Bible actually used, the, the King James Version uses that word repent to describe the, the motivation or the action of God in regard to a circumstance uh, in the Old Testament. And so here's the question. What does the Bible mean when it says that God regretted something that he had done? What does it mean that God regrets and, apparently, according to the King James, repents? Well, that's a great question. It's a big question. Uh, and I can't hope to fully answer that question in a short devotional podcast like this one. But I do want to answer the question in brief and hopefully give you some things to think about as you read the Bible and come across statements like the one fueling this question. Now, to kick things off, I want to read from one of the passages that describes for us a moment when God regretted something that he had done, and he repented of it. Um, we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now, I'll give you a quick rundown of what's going on here. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we realize that, uh, well, Saul is the king over the people of God. The Israelites have come into the promised land by the direction of God. Joshua helped to um, secure the borders through military conquest. And, and after this period of judges where things were up and down, finally the people came to God and they, well, actually they came to the prophet, but uh, they said, we need a king. We need a king like all the other nations of the earth. And, and God appointed, God anointed, had Samuel the prophet anoint Saul. Saul. Now, Saul was chosen because he was handsome, he was tall, um, he was a good leader, all these different things, very worldly um, qualifications here. But Saul was appointed, he was anointed with oil, uh, which was a symbol of the Holy Spirit being given to him for the task of being king over the people of God. And Saul begins to you know, serve as king. But along the way, Saul begins to make some decisions, and some of those decisions were sinful in their nature. One of those decisions is that Saul chose to uh, not obey God when it came to God's judgment being poured out on a group of people known as the Amalekites. And this is what we read about in 1 Samuel 15. Um, Saul was supposed to devote everything to destruction and keep nothing for himself, and he did not do that. And as a result, um, the, the prophet comes to the, the scene and he says, what's going on? What am I hearing? Saul tries to explain away his, uh, his sin. And then we hear this from God. This is the word of the Lord coming to the prophet Samuel. God says, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned away from me and has not done what I told him to do. 
And then Samuel became angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Now, the reason that we use the word repent at times is because in the King James, it reads this way. Um, God is quoting, is, is quoted as saying, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. And he's turned back from following me. So the, the more modern versions um, convey the idea of God having a regret, uh, an emotional response for having uh, set Saul up in this position to do what he has done. All right. Now, at first glance, it looks like something that we might say, right? I regret this decision. Um, we, we say that after we make a decision and things don't turn out the way we want them to. And we do this all the time. And when we do, we chalk it up to the fact that, well, we, we regret it because we didn't know how everything was going to work out. I mean, we, we don't know everything. We can't fully anticipate what will happen in the future. And we are imperfect in our decision making. So in other words, this happens to us because we are human. And when we read this in the scriptures, it, it begins to cause us to think, well, does this mean that God's like us? I mean, when we read that this happens to God, we don't fully know what to do with it. Is God like us? Does God make mistakes? And, and here's where the question typically goes. Is God limited in his knowledge of the future in the same way that we are limited in our knowledge of the future? Now, you may know this, that there is a theological position, there's a theological idea or construct which claims that God's knowledge of man's future choices is limited and that he cannot fully know uh, what is to come um, since we are the ones who make free choices and God can't know those choices, so he can't know everything. This position is called open theism. It's uh, also referred to as the openness of God theology, and this title, openness, relates to the fact that, in their view, God is open to the future because he is ignorant of the future choices that man will make. And so open theists read 1 Samuel 15, and they say, well, of course God regrets. Of course God repents, because God can't know the future until we, men with free will, we make our choices and the future unfolds before all eyes, including God's. Now, their position limits God's knowledge of future events, and therefore these passages don't concern them very much at all. They have an answer for it, and, and that answer is that they basically diminish uh, some of the categories that the Bible holds out when it comes to the knowledge of God. And that's what poses a problem for us. These, these ideas, these passages pose a little bit of a problem for us because we hold to the doctrine of God's omniscience, which means that God knows everything. And the reason we believe this is because the Bible tells us that God knows everything. The Bible says things like this, God knows the end from the beginning. The Bible tells us that God knows everything that can be known. And what that involves is or entails is everything. There's nothing that is hidden from God. The Bible tells us that God knows every page in the book of our lives before we ever make a decision or take a step or we're ever even born. When the Bible teaches us about the scope of God's knowledge, it shows us that God has perfect knowledge of the past, perfect knowledge of the present, and perfect knowledge of the future. Nothing is hidden from God. God even knows the thoughts of man. He knows the thoughts and intentions of man's hearts. Jesus, the Son of God, can read the thoughts of men. He knows everything that has occurred, everything that is occurring, and everything that could occur, and everything that will occur. God knows the working of everything. He knows 
The Bible even talks about this. He knows the working of the cosmos. He understands things that we don't even know exist. He knows the movements of nations. He knows and affects the thoughts of kings. Not even one sparrow falls without God knowing about it. He even knows the number of hairs on your head. And, and, and this, this is mind-boggling to us, but this is where God's omniscience becomes personal. God not only knows all things, but he also knows you. He also knows me. In Psalm 139, we read this, O Lord, you have stretched me and known me. You know where I sit down when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. You know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. And such knowledge, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. So the Bible tells us that God knows our thoughts and our plans and what we're going to say before we say it. He knows the totality of our lives. He even knew us before we were conceived. And he set his love upon us before the foundation of the world. So God's knowledge and God's foreknowledge has no limitation. Okay, so with all of that in mind, what are we to make of 1 Samuel 15? Where it appears that God made a decision and then later came to regret that decision. Almost as if he didn't foresee what was going to take place. So how do we reconcile these seemingly conflicting views of God's knowledge? Well, I want to go back to 1 Samuel and read that again. So this is 1 Samuel 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And then we see a very similar thing in the same chapter, verse 35. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, Let's acknowledge, first of all, let's acknowledge that it is okay for God to have emotions, for God to look upon a situation and to be sorrowful about how things have occurred. And that's really what the language is here. Repent is really not the right word. Regret might not even be the right word. Um, it, it's a good translation, but I, maybe the idea of God's emotion over what took place is a better way to see this. And it's okay for God to have emotions. It's not only okay, but it is thoroughly biblical to know that God loves, for instance, or that God cares, that God is jealous, that God is angry. It's okay and it is thoroughly biblical for us to understand that God has emotions. God desires certain things. And all of these words do that. They express emotions. And we need to embrace the reality that God has an immensely complex emotional life. But it would be the wrong thing for us to do to assume that God emotes in the same way that we do, right? God's attributes, God's feelings, God's thoughts, God's emotions are all perfect. Ours are not. And God is capable of far more powerful and complex emotions than we are. So it's perfectly right for God to see a sinful state of affairs taking place in the life of King Saul and then to express an emotion about it. But let's not make the mistake of assuming that God's emotional reaction will be the same as ours. God is capable of infinitely more remarkable emotional depth and complexity than we are. But honestly, we simply lack the language to fully grasp this. And so the, the biblical authors are left with the same words that we use 
on ourselves. God regretted, right? Or God had sorrow. So what the biblical author is trying to do is to describe God's heart, his emotion regarding the sin of Saul. But just because God feels sorry or regrets that a circumstance came about does not mean that he didn't foresee that it would take place when he made the original decision. In other words, God knew that Saul would sin against him, but he still made the decision to appoint him to be king, and he was grieved when the actual sin took place. The reason we struggle with this is because we think that God's emotions are at odds with his omniscience, and I don't think they are. The fact that God regrets does not nullify his perfect foreknowledge. Let me, let me, let me try to illustrate this with a human example. If I come across one of my children doing something foolish or doing something disobedient, um, maybe they're doing something dangerous, and I choose as their father to discipline them for their actions, right? I'm, I'm making a decision about what needs to happen based upon what's going on in that circumstance. Now, when I enact discipline, um, I may feel some sense of remorse because my kids will be uh, hurt or they'll be angry or they'll be upset or they'll run inside and they won't want to talk to me for a little while. And it puts distance between uh, you know, us, distance in the relationship. Now, I may feel bad for how that discipline has had a negative effect upon our relationship. But if I had to do it over again, as a parent, I would still discipline them knowing full well the results. Right Now, that, that, I think that's an easy illustration for us to get our minds around. We, we can make a decision and stick to that decision, understanding that that decision is going to create a, a negative relational dynamic. And, and even in the midst of that negative relational dynamic, we can still say, if I had to do it over again, I'd still do the same thing. Now, if this combination of emotion and resolve is possible for us as sinful human beings, then certainly God is capable of this complex emotional situation as well. I appreciate the way John Piper talks about this when he says, God is able to feel sorrow for an act in view of foreknown evil and yet go ahead and do it for wise reasons. And, and what all that means is that God's foreknowledge is not threatened by his feelings or his emotions. Okay, so what do we do with this passage, though? I mean, we've kind of put it into this scope of saying, okay, God is well within his rights to emote, to have emotions, and we, we don't necessarily know how all of this works, but we can see in our own experience how um, emotion and foreknowledge can work together in such a way that they don't nullify one another. But what does this really tell us about God? Well, if we go back into 1 Samuel 15, the same uh, chapter that we've read those other two passages about and where it specifically states that God regrets, if we go back into 1 Samuel 15 and verse 28, we read this. And Samuel said to him, this is Samuel, the prophet, talking to Saul King. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who's, who is better than you. And also, the glory of Israel, this is a reference to God, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Now, this is, this is really this is hard here. Now, this seems like a, a, a bigger contradiction than the first one. Um, how can we read in two separate places in the same chapter that God regrets, and now we read that, well, God doesn't regret, because that's, a, that's the action of a man. What is going on here? This seems like a big contradiction, but I really don't think that's the point. 
In the same chapter the author wrote God regretting, making Saul king, it also says that God doesn't regret because he's not a man. And here's what that means. I don't think that the author is, that the author hasn't forgotten what he wrote. Instead, he's trying to teach us something about the complexity of God. I mean, he knows that he's written that God regretted, but now he's coming back and he's saying, wait, hold on a second. That's not exactly the way we should see it. God is an emotional being who can feel sorrow or regret, but he is also God, which means that he doesn't experience regret the same way that we do. When we regret a decision, it's usually because we lacked the foreknowledge to see how it would turn out, but God is not bound in the same way. It is within his nature as God, and and this is the big point here, it is within his nature as God to make decisions that will bring about sorrow in him. But he still makes those decisions because it's part of his wise plan for all things. His sorrow over sin doesn't nullify his perfect foreknowledge. He can and does know the end from the beginning. And that does not mean that he never feels sorrow over what takes place underneath the scope of his providence. Now, if you struggle to get your mind around this, understand you're in good company. But perhaps like me, you can take some comfort in the fact that though we can't fully understand how this works, God does. In fact, this is in part what it means for him to be God. Now, there's so much more that can be said on this, but I do hope that this has been helpful to you. I'll be honest with you, as we've received questions from you, uh, members and listeners, um, there aren't any easy questions in the list. And some of those questions uh, we're not going to be able to fully just tie a bow on and give an easy answer to. So I know this is a little bit longer than normal, but I hope it's been helpful to cause you to think through some things. I, I do also understand that I haven't exhausted this question. So continue to study, look it up, ask other people. If you have a good um, study Bible, maybe you could get some help there. Or if you have a, a systematic theology around, you could definitely reach out and, and find some things out about this particular question. Plenty of help on line. But again, I hope that this conversation has been helpful to you today. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play. And that way you could stay up to date on all the new content. Now, thank you so much for listening.